Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. My childhood was spent across many continents, countries, and places filled with a wide variety of healthcare systems. For my parents, it meant that my mother had to leave one country for another to safely deliver my brother, leaving my father in the dark about the birth for three days until the telex arrived to let him know he had a son. For those not familiar with this technology, it was much like the phone-based text messaging but limited to large devices that were hardwired to network systems and not widely available. It came with no technical limitations to the length of messages, but there were economic ones as every character sent had a cost associated with it, so messages were brief. For much of my early life, I grew up in a single-payer healthcare system that provided everything we needed throughout my childhood and into my early adult life. In fact, I cut my teeth in the healthcare single-payer system, which is the system I trained to be a physician and worked in, the NHS. It's hard to determine when healthcare became a business, and that probably varies by country, but it became crystal clear to me when I went to work in Australia as I was asked to end all of my consultations with the line, and how would you like to pay, cash, check, or bank card? Something I struggled with as I'd never dealt with the financial side of medicine focusing rather on the patients and what they required. But it is clear that healthcare is a business, and even for the single-payer systems like the NHS, the financial elements cannot be ignored and drive behavior. In the United States, the financial aspect has been integral to all interactions in the system, but has taken an oversized role in driving the way care is delivered. This is especially true in primary care, which has seen a steady decline in the payments to physicians delivering services. To maintain their income, these groups have had to take on more patients and workload, which has decreased the available time for individual consultations. The average amount of time a doctor can spend with a patient in primary care has fallen to less than 15 minutes, and in many cases it's as low as 5 to 7 minutes. While that may be sufficient in some instances, for most patients, especially those in desperate need of time and attention for complex chronic disease management, it fails to provide satisfaction to either party, the patient or the physician, who both end up frustrated with the experience. How do we address this problem and restore the spirit of medicine? Join me on Healthcare Upside Down Show as I talk with Zach Holdsworth. He's the CEO and co-founder of Hint Health. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, you're trying to address the construct of healthcare and the way that we deliver it. And what I would think of this, it's really what's old is new. It's actually paying attention to the patient and giving them time. 
Is that really possible or have we just moved into a, a zone where it's no longer possible and you just get five minutes of somebody's time because we're too busy? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's, I think it is possible. Um, I, I'm of the view and opinion that it's very difficult or maybe not possible to do it within the construct of the kind of traditional healthcare payment models. So, um, and I'd go so far as saying that there's, you know, a lot of the kind of the, a lot of the innovation we've seen in healthcare is kind of built on top of you know legacy infrastructure, and it's really hard to restore that kind of the way I'd seem thinking about it is like restore the spirit of medicine, restore the integrity of that patient-physician relationship. Um, if you're sitting on top of like decades of legacy um, incentive <coughs> incentives and overhead, and you know, so it's possible, but got to make a few changes to make it happen. So as I think about this, I am immediately struck by the concept of Jenga. And maybe we should just restart this game and reset everything. Is that what you're doing? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, our vision at Hint is to redesign the healthcare system to enable easy access to high quality, affordable care. And so, so what does that mean? You know, what are you doing? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so I'd say that the uh, I'd say if I kind of set up the construct a little bit, um, the, you know, the way we tend to think about the reason healthcare is broken is because of the perverse incentives and also just the lack of price transparency and just crazy administrative overhead that is attributed to the insurance fee-for-service infrastructure. And a lot of the innovation has been built on in, in the last decades has been built on top of that infrastructure. Um, you know, and you see that in things, you see that showing through in things like, you know, for example, it's you know fifty thousand dollars per. Uh, per physician per year to report quality measures in a value-based arrangement, right? So that's not, doesn't seem to be the solution as well. Costs are increasing, you know, the, the premiums are going up 47% over the last decade. So things aren't really, there's money's been invested in innovation, doesn't seem to be working. So the way we tend to think about it is, and what one of the effects that that's had on the healthcare system is it's broken primary care, right? And so, and there's no functioning healthcare system in the world without a functioning primary care system. So what we're, our kind of core thesis is, okay, well, we really need to rebuild the system outside the insurance fee-for-service chassis, right? Completely from scratch. Uh, and we really need to restore the integrity of primary care and, um, you know, within that construct. And so we have built a company that's supporting the kind of, really the growth and success of innovative models like direct primary care that are achieving the sort of quadruple aim of, you know, that everyone wants to achieve but outside the status quo infrastructure. Now the vision is long-term, once you've fixed primary care, you can start to layer in, you know, you can start to slowly but surely carve more and more of the system out of the legacy infrastructure and put in a net new kind of ecosystem that's thriving. And so short version, that's, well, that's not really short, but that's what we're up to. Well, so I, I think first of all, let's let's really drill down into primary care because if you were to pick a specialty, and and there's maybe one other, um, psychiatry seems to have been you know almost not cast to one side, but certainly insufficient attention and one that really requires a lot of effort and focus. But primary care is right in there in the mix. We have done a terrible job of attracting people into that industry or, or into that specialty, I'm sorry. We've done a terrible job of uh, appropriately compensating and allowing them to do what is an extraordinarily complex and difficult task that requires a lot of time and a lot of mental effort. 
you're saying that you can address that. How do you do that? What is it that's required and what are you breaking down in terms of the existing systems? Yeah, well, so I'm not an expert on psychiatry, um, but but the, within the con construct of primary care, um, within the context of primary care, effectively what's happening is instead of a kind of a fee-for-service or, you know, claim for primary care, right, which um, we know kind of doesn't seem to work, it's a simple pre-negotiated price transparent rate, so typically a membership fee. Um, and, a, you know, the median is across our customer base is about $75, but it ranges anywhere from, you know, 50, around 50 to not, you know, 90, 100 range, um, often based on either age or kind of demographics in terms of where you're located. Um, but with that, you're, you, you're really just forming a, a direct relationship either with the patient or increasingly actually we've got employers that are buying this for their employees, right, and circumventing that that fee-for-service chassis. Um, and then with that, you get essentially unlimited access to primary care, telemedicine. Essentially, you get urgent care because a lot of the things that happen in urgent care could happen within a primary care setting if there's enough time to do uh, some of those procedures. Um, and the incentives around driving volume are gone as well because now I've got a population of patients. I might have, instead of 2,000 patients or 3,000, I'll have, you know, 500 or 800 is the six to 800 is typically we all see it land. And so I can spend time with those patients and I'm also incentivized to make sure they stay healthy. And I'm also incentivized to meet them where they want to be met. For example, telemedicine is out of the box because that's a win for the doctor and a win for the patient. But sometimes it's not a win for the doctor and a win for the patient because the doctor needs to see them. So it's an option. Um, but you don't need to have a code to incentivize it because it's just a rational thing that should happen within the, co within the context of a membership with your doctor. So we've found that in primary care, a membership um, works, but other areas, um, maybe just if it's imaging, right? Why do you need to submit a claim for, uh, with a $25 copay that is going to get, that imaging center will get paid 80% of the time in 180 days why not just pay them 70, you know, $75 cash right now for that same x-ray? So we're starting to see patterns like that emerging as well. And, um, and a lot of our customers are referring to those, to those downstream kind of uh, pre open price transparent networks that fall outside. So just to, I think the really the key thing is you really need to think from first principles versus just saying this is the way it is. It's just rebuild on, build stuff on top of the, of the broken system. So I, I think, you know, universally, most people would sort of listen to that and say, wow, sounds like a great idea. But let's talk about, you know, some of the potential negatives. And, you know, the challenge specifically with the membership model is, can it be affordable? So can we actually provide this service to the widest population, particularly those that are underserved? They, they seem to struggle the most. Does this disenfranchise them? How, how do you address that? And can you address that? Yeah, so um, the a few a few points um, wrapped up in there. The first I'll say is that when we just look at the data across our customer base, we've got you know the large end. We've got you know thousands of providers and hundreds of thousands of lives um, across you know across the country. So it's pretty good data um, at this point. What we find is is that uh, both in the data and also anecdotally when we talk to our customers, often there's a very wide demographic um, uh, in terms of wealth. So we've actually got customers that literally have homeless people as members or like close to, and then those that fly a private jet and they're in the same clinic, 
right, which is very interesting, right? Um, and the if you think about typically in the you know the, the average premium for a family now, I think is in the fifteen to twenty thousand dollars range. Um, you can get a DPC membership for for your family for a, a few thousand dollars, right, a year, um, or, or or even less than that, a thousand dollars a year. Um, and um, uh, depending on how many people in your family, and so the and that's where eighty percent of the care is happening. Um, so the there is, I'd say, um, we're seeing the data showing that it is affordable, but we're also seeing employers who represent about a third of spend in the healthcare system are starting to increasingly say, "Hey, this is an option I might sponsor for my employees," and often it's blue collar uh, employer groups. Because if you're in Silicon Valley, right, everyone has the most expensive insurance possible and so the best coverage and, and the cost isn't an issue per se. Well, in the rest of America, that's not really the case, right? And so it's really what we're starting to see is actually not only is it inexpensive, but also you're able to save money on the total cost of care if you reorganize the primary care relationship and make and fix it. Um, the other thing, just a data point, is, is that something crazy like half of Americans have um, a, a high deductible insurance that with a greater than $2,000 deductible. And, and not, I don't know what the VIN is on to, in terms of overlap, but there's something like half of working Americans have less than $2,000 in their bank account. So if you think about it, some very large number of people are effectively uninsured, even though they have insurance. And so direct primary care can help address that because often these doctors will actually serve to help with care navigation. Hey, does it make sense to hit your deductible with a two hundred and fifty dollars X-ray that you're going to actually essentially be paying out of pocket, and you're never and it's you're never going to reach your deductible? Or should we get you that same X-ray at the same center for seventy five dollars cash right now? What's your preference? So there's actually ways to start helping these patients rethink healthcare and kind of get them away from being captive to the the current system. So I, I think great responses and, and clearly, you know, valid data that demonstrates that that's not the case. So let's talk about another area, but I think you've already answered it, but I, I want to be sure. Um, you know, quite often when you see membership models and capitated models, you, you tend to see, or, or we have seen in the past, quality decline because suddenly you're overwhelming the system, they're not able to spend the time. But what I heard you say was you're actually decreasing the number of uh, individuals that somebody would be responsible for. So perhaps they've actually got more time with them. Is that the case? And, and if so, how do the economics work out so that everybody's coming out on top in this? Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's the, sort of the capitation experience of the 90s, right? Um, uh, yeah, I think it's sort of referencing in the, in the, in the 2000s, I, I guess. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the kind of the hypothesis I have there is a couple of things. Is that one of them is that a lot of that was laid on top of the insurance fee-for-service chassis, right? Like it, it wasn't like really, you know, pure capitation where it was like a net new model. You also had kind of top-down regulatory oversight and, and just sort of like, and things with how quality has been measured and how you're actually judged from an outcomes perspective. And there's all sorts of administrative overhead and complexity associated with the models. So really what they're taking is they're saying, take the broken system, lay a more complexity on top of it so we can control the doctors, right? And, and 
that does, didn't work super well because it was really hard. It's a complex multivariate problem um, uh, to, to, to solve health in the population level. And so the way I tend to think about it is actually with threat primary care, we're actually going, we're, we're simplifying the model, right? There are ways to um, leverage data to actually show value and like prove outcomes and improve cost savings, but those shouldn't be like top-down regula regulated um, sitting on top of the broken system. Like, can we innovate from first principles to achieve the same goals? Um, so that would be one, one data point I'll, I'll, I'll reference. In terms of the, um, um, in terms of like the, 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 the economics and the patients per physician, if you look at the kind of average spend in primary care across the population, I don't know, the, don't quote me on this, but it's in the $20 per month range per patient. It's roughly that order of magnitude. When you look at a direct primary care model, what we're effectively saying is that that's not enough primary care. Like we're, we're, we're sort of not putting water in the radiator, right? That's kind of a bit silly, right? Um, that, that's kind of the equivalent of like not investing in primary care. And so what we're saying is, okay, let's invest, let's double or triple that investment. We all know, like everyone knows, preventative medicine is cheaper than not the expensive stuff that happens later on. Um, and so what, why don't we spend 40, you know, 50, 60, 70, $80 per month per member, right? Uh, depending on some different factors, right? You know, the, the, um, but let's invest further, reduce the panel sizes from 2,000, 3,000. So seven to 11 minutes per visit, reduce that down to eight, 600 to 800 patients and get 30 to 45 minutes per visit if needed. Sometimes a patient just wants a quick phone call and get the refill, no problem. Sometimes they need a full physical or sometimes it's an emergency where, not an emergency, but they need to spend real time with their doctor. And so can we reorganize that? And then because what you're doing is you're taking the overhead and the volume-based model where there's lots of overhead to get paid and it's like not predictable and you don't control your contracts because the payers can change them on you at any moment and you can't even opt out in a lot of cases and you replace that with a price transparent, pre-negotiated recurring revenue stream. So you're able now to predict your revenue, you're able to plan, you're able to invest in technology and other things that are rational to help you continue to scale. And you're able to actually generate a better profit, right, and a better a predictable business. And as a bonus, if you're a doctor, now you're not suicidal. And, I, and I'm not joking, like physicians are the highest suicide rate of any profession, physicians. That doesn't make any sense, right? Um, so in, in a, can you restore the spirit of medicine and let these doctors really fulfill their Hippocratic oath and like not start, continue to suffer from moral injury and bring joy of medicine and back to medicine and all so on and so forth. And so, so that's, I think, lots of stuff wrapped up in there, but there's just a, kind of a lot of stuff that's good about it and not that much that's bad. Um, and, and yeah. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. So I, I think lots of positive. The, the other... Um, concept or challenge that you you sometimes find with these easy access, and it's one of the reasons that you know there's resistance to zero cost. It's one of the reasons that we introduced copays, or at least copays were introduced. Was you know they were termed nuisance fees, and yes, totally. you know, what you do is you open things up, and suddenly, oh wow, you know you've got all this access. You've got lots of data. What's been your experience? Yeah, so it's a really interesting point you make, and you actually mentioned psychiatry and sort of and you have mental health and other topics, right? Um, 
way I tend to think about it is, you know, physicians when going into these um, these models often fear that what's going to happen to the overutilizers and the, the, the hypochondriacs, am I going to get flooded by them? And what tends to happen is, um, is the answer, short, excuse me, the short version is that doesn't typically happen. And um, and what actually happens is, yes, if there are overutilizers, um, then often there's actually a underlying health problem, often a mental health problem that will have seriously impl serious implications downstream if not dealt with. There's a major mental health crisis in the US. And so the equivalent of, you know, it's like, don't put water in your radiator and don't put oil in your engine, right? Now, double whammy problems, right? If you're using a car as the example here. So if you've got people that are overutilizers and really like abusing the system, they're actually the people you probably want to spend a lot of time with now uh, and, and really overinvest them and allow them to do that and not put barriers up so that you can address those root cause problems, spend the time with those patients. And what we find is actually those, those people that are overutilizing, once they realize that they can get access, that they have that relationship with their doctor, that they're able to contact their care team anytime, there's no problem. In fact, they're welcomed in. Often what happens is that falls away, right? Once those issues have been dealt with, that patient, people don't want to spend all their time with their doctors, right? Um, it, 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 the, the natural behavior is actually that you, you fix the root cause problems and everyone's happy. So... It's really interesting. So it, it sounds very much like, um, you know, it's the what's not available, people want desperately and then end up in, uh, in this case, overutilizing, wanting access. But when you actually open it up and, you know, there was a part of me that was thinking as you were talking about, you know, a 45 minute consultation. And I, I'm, I'm sat here both as a patient and a physician thinking, gosh, I'm not even sure what I would say over that extended period of time. Yeah. But there are people that do and those that do obviously need it. But for me, it would be a much briefer. So it's the balance of all of that and completely redefining as you know i described at the beginning knock down that jenga construct and start afresh yep. so that you have a solid foundation and that Absolutely. solid foundation is direct membership monthly payment and i think the important part of this is to to bring in the employers who are you know a big proportion of the people that are paying for these services as opposed to the individuals although in some cases i would imagine individuals pay for it as well yeah i mean about about at this point half the patients on our platform are um are retail and half are employer paid for and just to reinforce the point you made yeah the 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 point is that you, you have the ability to spend 45 minutes with your doctor your most patients don't want to spend that much time and and the, and, and so but if they do, it's there. And so you end up with um, this really amazing, you really restore the spirit of medicine and you allow that relationship to form. Um, and that to me is, is a really kind of profound. And what is really missing um, from healthcare today is that, is that deep connection. Fantastic. Zach, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. It's great to be here. To restore the spirit of medicine and the experience starts with a reset. The existing infrastructure that has been built up will not provide the capabilities that patients or doctors are seeking. They want quality time to spend focused on their patients. Traditionally, any increase in time is viewed as an economic impossibility. 
But as Zach explained, not only is it economic, it actually saves money by refocusing our resources on the area we all know that has the highest return possible on health, primary care. Average spending on primary care has remained low and insufficient to enable the medicine we are all seeking and the kind of attention that can affect change and help patients not only get better, but ultimately delay or even avoid the more expensive specialty care restoring health and wellness to everyone. Your better pill to swallow is rethinking your primary care strategy and delivery. As an employer, the value proposition is high for both health, wellness and cost, but also delivers high satisfaction rates and less absenteeism from your employees. Carving out these services from your benefits and providing a new model that is easy to access for everyone is a clear winning strategy. For healthcare systems and insurers, partnering with separate services designed to deliver high-touch services will create a happier, healthier population and reduce overall costs and spending. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash HUD for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HC Upside Down. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.